It's six o'clock in London. It's 1 p.m. in New York. Hope you're enjoying your lunchtime there. 1 a.m. in Hong Kong, 3 a.m. in Sydney, 10 a.m. in San Francisco, and 10.30 at night in Mumbai. Ladies and gentlemen, greeting, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where in the world you are today. My name is Patrick L. Young, the IPOVID Livestream, Series 4, Episode 4, Number 22, starts here. Of course, we've had that giddy bond market. My goodness, we saw 1.6% yields during the course of the last week in the American 10-year Treasury market. That seems absolutely sensational. Sooner or later, we might indeed get an outbreak of a yield curve. But let's move to France. Let's just break down possibly the news story of the week. The former president of the Republic, that's the Republic famed, of course, for its liberté, égalité, fraternité, revolutionary call to arms, has been sentenced to jail for corruption, including the rather heinous crime of judge bribing. As a result of the fact that this is the French system, he won't actually spend a day in jail because two years of his sentence are automatically suspended, leaving him with one year of house arrest with Carla Bruni. Or as the rest of us know it, Nicolas Sarkozy can look forward to a year of lockdown albeit we spend our lockdown without Carla Bruni. Elsewhere, there was a great story by BCG, the consultancy group. Only 30% of digital transformations are successful, which of course, I suppose, begs the question, what percentage of digital transformations are successful which don't involve big consultancy groups? Now, leaving the consultancy groups aside, we've certainly got a very, very exciting, super successful, entertaining, amazing, discussion of digital transformation this evening. And it all starts back in Young's Pyramid. You may remember that from episode one of this series where I was talking about the fact that this is a world of opportunity for exchanges. And indeed, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the age of the exchange. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. The technical underpinnings of something sensational, a whole new front to back, top to bottom infrastructure for new financial commodity, whatever you call it, whatever you want to trade it, markets. And therefore, ladies and gentlemen, we have got a sensational lineup, not one, not two, but three guests this evening joining me from all across the world. Indeed, we have Magnus Almquist, Peter Fredrickson, and Eric Saranetsky, or for Americans, that translates as Eric Saraniki. We're looking at the end-to-end -end digital asset platform. We've got Bay Markets, Digital Asset, and Expert in the studio this evening for this live stream. Magnus Almquist, he was the is the head of exchange development at Expert. He's therefore responsible for what amounts to being the new cutting-edge exchange matching engine developer, and he's had a broad and long-lasting 20-year career across all manners of interesting developers in the digital market sphere for markets. Peter Fredrickson, it's a joy to see him as well this evening. He's the executive chairman, majority owner, and co-founder of the Norwegian vendor Bay Markets, which provide clearing systems for the financial markets. And joining us from across the Atlantic, no less, we have got Eric Saraniki, co-founder and head of product. He's one of the founders of Digital Asset, that fascinatingly interesting back-end settlement regime, for want of a better term, because you do so many different things, including your own open operating language. So, gentlemen, let's kick off with just asking very quickly where in the world you are today. Magnus, introduce yourself and tell us where you are. Sure. Um, so, 
thank you very much for that that amazing introduction. With um, I'm based in London. I live in London, central London. Um, um, and uh, well, as as you mentioned, I am from Exbury. Exbury, uh, Exbury is an Israeli-based fintech that was founded in 2018, um, and we officially launched our matching engine in June 2020. Um, and since then, we've seen an amazing reception in the market, where we've to date have signed three clients already, and we have soon more to announce. Um, we have technically solved the, the difficult challenge of deploying a deterministic and low jetter platform or matching engine in the cloud. This enables us to deploy new markets just in days and completely new matching engines uh, just in days. Um, we're agnostic to asset classes and we are easily integrated into any ecosystem. Um, and the, the platform scales amazingly well. So, and even our tiniest micro markets, they meet MTF and ATS type regulatory requirements. Um, what we historically have seen is that it's usually really difficult to integrate and adapt a matching engine into an exchange, as all markets are unique and special in, in various ways. Um, our partnership that we're discussing and exploring today creates a digital ecosystem enabling rapid deployment and configuration within an exchange. Um, and it's super exciting that Xperia is part of that. Um, the concept of what a market is, is also rapidly evolving. The creation of digital asset markets helps fuel this evolution or even revolution. Um, and as a consequence, the, the addressable market for solutions such as this and for matching engines is, is just exploding. Um, our partnership, it tears down barriers to entry and supports innovation in ways that you just could not even imagine only five years ago. So very excited to be here and, and uh, with this great crowd. Excellent to hear from you. And uh, obviously, good evening to all of the team with Expri who are also in Israel, as you were saying, a fascinating fintech hub, the startup nation, no less. Now, let's go to Peter. Peter, where are you in the world? You're the co-founder of the Norwegian vendor Bay Markets. Tell us a little bit about that and your exciting life history in finance. Oh, Peter, I think you might be on mute. I think we've lost you there, Peter. I'm so sorry. We can't seem to hear you. I'm not good sure. Shall I come back to you in a second? No. Eric. <laughs> oh, Peter, there you are. Excellent. Ah, sorry, I forgot to unmute. No problem. <laughs> Start again, please. You were saying it was yeah, so okay. bigger and grim. We were watching with enjoyment. Carry on. Yeah. Now, I, like you said, in, introduced, uh, Patrick, I, I am based in Stockholm, uh, although the whole team is based in Oslo. So um, um, I work remotely, as everybody else does these days. Uh, normally, I'm in Oslo quite a lot, but um, the last time I was there it was in September when I was, you know, it was possible to, to travel into Norway, which is now closed. Um, I'm also really excited about this partnership that we created and uh, the work that we do together with Xperia and uh, Digital Asset. Um, Bay Markets, we provide a clearing system uh, for, uh, you know, up to now for traditional markets. Uh, one of our clients is SIX, you know, the Swiss exchange, their clearinghouse XClear. 
where we pro we just uh, pulled out the numbers today. We have processed uh, 430,000 trades per day at the value of about 1.6 billion, a little bit north of 1.6 billion dollars per day. Um, so it's a quite uh, sort of well-established clearing system that we have. And um, uh, back in the fall of 2020, we started looking into what do we need to do in the future to be ready for moving us into the digital space. And um, uh, quite soon I reached out to my old friend Magnus and um, got acquainted with, uh, with Eric and Digital Asset as well. And together we have formed an end-to-end -end solution uh, for, for, yeah, digital assets. And, or an end-to-end -end exchange, I should say, an exchange in a box. Fascinating. Um, Fascinating altogether. It really, really is, Peter. So, Eric, tell us, where in the world are you today? And uh, how did you come to be in this interesting consortium? <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm coming to you from New York. I'm representing Digital Asset across a number of offices where we have locations. Uh, New York, London, Zurich, Budapest, Hong Kong, Sydney, just to name where when we get to go back to our offices, people tend to congregate, but we have people across many more locations as well. Uh, at Digital Asset, we're the creators of DAML, which is a programming platform that helps organizations solve business problems where their existing data is siloed or inconsistent and incomplete. And today our massive networks of loosely interconnected systems are just too slow and brittle to give users the live accurate experiences that they demand. People push a button on their phone today, they expect things to happen now. Uh, and companies building solutions with DAML can cut across data and organizational boundaries, connecting physical systems of different stakeholders into one virtual shared system of record. So that allows us to do things like create reconciliation-free systems or real-time settlement systems, new clearing and trading models. Um, and we get to work with some of the largest, most established exchanges in the world, as well as work with upstarts, small teams, aggressive new opportunities and ideas. And it's just a lot of fun to help connect the dots between this very classic traditional capital markets world and this cutting edge of new finance and, uh, and global economic opportunities. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I was lucky enough to meet Magnus through a mutual acquaintance who has done a good job as matchmaker. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about what we've been able to put together as a trio today. Look, it's really, really fascinating altogether. And indeed, as you say, I mean, coming from the digital asset background, it's incredible. You look at what I call Young's Pyramid of Exchanges, and there you are. You're currently installing, it's due to come through in, what, two years, three years' time, to the Hong Kong exchanges, the most valuable exchange group in the world at the very top of the pyramid. But at the same time, you've got this amazing, broad possibility. So what is actually, start with Eric, what do you see as being the value proposition to the buyers of your system? I see two main value props to what we offer. And the first is just the flexibility of the system. So uh, a lot of people, when they go to build an exchange ecosystem, they start to do it piecemeal, and then they'll build a lot of infrastructure around it to connect all the parts. And that componentry around it is not always necessarily a first-class citizen of that solution. But because the three of us are working together and we've built all of our platforms to be very modern, 
oriented uh, systems and products, we're able to build one coherent, what feels like single product, even though it's built across a number of different solutions. So we can create arbitrary assets on the fly. We can create arbitrary pairs on the fly. We can create baskets versus pairs. We can trade these things. We can onboard investors. It's just, it's much more of a composable modern um, system that people are more accustomed to from their traditional B2C experiences that they have today. And the other, ultimately, I, you know, I hate to talk about price, but ultimately it has a lot to do with price. I don't mean this specifically just in dollars and cents, but time to market. I, I can launch a complete solution in less than 15 minutes today, um, and you could be off and running. Modification takes weeks to months at best uh, to complete what you need to make it your own and get it up and running. So it's, it's really about taking something very modern, very unique, and bringing it to market faster than anything else on the market. Fascinating altogether. And so therefore, how do you fit in in terms of where your piece of the pie is in the in the value proposition, Magnus? Um, Forex, very, it's, it's quite simple and straightforward, if you like. We, we are very niche and focused on the matching element, um, which means we maintain a central order book. Um, we receive orders, we process those, and, and when there is a crossed order book, we produce a trade. Um, and, and what's so great about this partnership and, and what Eric explained so, so very well is, is this whole flexibility and this whole ability to just create any pair and, and create, create very dynamic market structures um, where expert is so well embedded. Um, and this is back to the kind of scene set that I talked about previously, that historically that's been really complicated because you need to go in into nitty-gritty details and change code and, and, and create create kind of almost new matching engines. But here we don't need to because we, we sit so well behind DAML, if you like. And, and that framework and the ability to create what you want to trade there uh, means we, we just sit there and, and being agnostic to asset classes. We receive the orders, we process those um, while meeting MTF, ATS type requirements when it comes to order trails and deterministic capability and, and, and and keeping the order, keeping the markets orderly. Very good, Peter. You're part of the exciting value chain, value proposition here. Yeah, we came in um, as the last piece of the puzzle, you could say, and um, we provide the clearing piece. So we handle the risk management and uh, uh, and um, handling of collateral and uh, mark to market valuations, um, and as an example of how easy it is to actually launch this product is that we started working together at the end of October or early November and um, uh, we had a working prototype in December. So just to prove that, you know, that it's, it's very easy to set up a new marketplace, get all of the, you know, the, the pieces together and, um, and launch um, either for a traditional market or for you know a digital a digital market. Fascinating altogether. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with three fantastic guests. We've got a complete digital ecosystem at our fingertips. In fact, I, I should have actually challenged Eric before the show started to have us an up and running prototype before the end of the show. I mean, he said he could do it in 15 minutes. That's sensational. And actually, if you play with Daml, you'll know that that's true because it's such an amazing workaround. Have you got a question for our panelists this evening? We would love to hear from you. Send something in the usual social media chains. And also, 
Help us spread the word about Exchange Invest, my daily newsletter, and most importantly, this IPO vid with these gentlemen taking their time out to educate us this evening. Spread a little love. Give us a little like at the bottom of the page, wherever you're watching this, please, so that we can roar up those social media engines in due course. Eric, you were, you were looking at me there. You were saying that you're just going to knock together a little bit of code while Magnus is answering that question. I'm I, I may. I'll see. I'll I'll uh, I'll retain the option to say yes by the end of the call. But yeah, yeah I by the end of the call, no, I, it's, just, I mean, it's, it's a great thing. I know you're you're at the moment concentrated on our discussion here, and therefore I don't want to take you away. And I suppose that might be the great myth about male multitasking. I mean, who knows? Certainly, I can only concentrate on the one thing, which is uh, interviewing you three all at once. That's quite a handful. So. It is interesting altogether because if you look at okay, you've got this value proposition it's very interesting it's fast it's easy to get it to market and it's also let's call it cost effective and particularly again emphasizing the time point so what do you see as actually being the target market for your solution who is it going to be um eric maybe you might want to start there sure so i i think that what's really important to uh uh think about is that what we've traditionally considered to be an exchange, I think is changing uh, dramatically. So, you know, of course, if you want to trade a, a regulated security, you know, I think that that space is pretty well taken care of today. But there is a whole ecosystem of new types of applications and asset classes where price discovery just hasn't hit the market yet. Um, and so I think when I think markets, I think price discovery. Um, and, you know, the simplest way for me to explain this is if you go to StubHub or SeatGeek or Airbnb as a consumer, I could see that there is inventory availability and I see the price at which I could purchase it, but I don't know the historical prices. I can't place a bid. I mean, there, there are roundabout ways to do it, but it's not built into the experience. Uh, and there's always a company uh, called StockX that I keep as kind of my, my North Star for a really good B2C market experience. They trade collectibles like yep. sneakers and other things like that. And you can go and you can see what have Nike Air Jordans done over the past two years? Is size 12 more popular than size eight? And I just think that this experience, especially with the re-education of the retail investor, uh, with the crypto markets and a lot of the, uh, the activity in the, in the equities markets, I just think that this concept of price discovery is becoming uh, the norm, and that we'll see that proliferate into a number of things that you wouldn't have traditionally considered an exchange. So for us, when we set out to build this, we wanted to think about what would it mean for there to be thousands or tens of thousands of exchanges in the world? How are those constraints different? How are the assets different? How do these things need to operate together? What are the experiences that they're solving for? And I think that that was just a really fun experience to take everything that the three of us know from traditional capital markets and think about how to apply that to more retail B2C type situations. And our solution works for both. We could launch it at a major top 10 exchange for a traditional asset class. We could help you list sneakers um, and create a whole new marketplace for it. And that was really our guiding principle when we sat down to build something like this. Fascinating. So let me move that on then to Magnus. How do you see the, the target market overall for what you're looking at? I think you're on mute, Magnus. There we go, the mute button. Uh, I really agree with everything that Eric is saying. Right? And, and I think the, the, the creativity, the experimentation that we see right now is, is unprecedented. It's, it's something that I 
have never seen the like of in, in the last 20 years. This, this, this idea, this concept of what a market actually is, is rapidly evolving. And, um, the, the, so the target market is really wide. For sure, we're talking to traditional traditional type market uh, marketplaces where, where they are looking to, to trade sort of bond-like structures, equity-like structures, and, and, and financial instruments comprising of, of funds, basically, with several legs in them. Um, but, but we're also seeing very, very exotic, completely new types of investment models and, and investment ideas popping up. Um, and they, they, it's it's hard to summarize them very quickly and, and without sort of giving giving away business secrets too much. But the, but the, you know it's investing in content producers, for example, and, and the various ways in which you can do that um, is is one great example, I think. Um, so for me, I, I feel really privileged. It's so much fun to sit here and talk to all of these different entrepreneurs and all these really bright ideas that are popping up and, and then being supported by this enormous platform that we have where we actually can configure these things and demo and and build an ecosystem in, in just you know in a couple of days and, and start showcasing and start talking about it is is just amazing peter what would you like to add to the addressable market i think um, if we talk about not just our potential clients that we have in the group, but also uh, their value proposition to their clients. And I think one part that we Bay Markets bring to the table is is trust. That you can trust the the marketplace to handle the counterparty risk, which I think is really important. And and to bring on liquidity, bring on uh, Sort of both institutional investors and or larger larger volumes, it's it's essential to have the trust and to be able to calculate and and handle the um, the counterparty risk. And um, I would say you don't have to be a regulated clearinghouse to actually do this. You can you can um, handle um, the margining and uh, the collateral and um, settlement and everything without being a regulated entity even though you know that even brings more trust so just looking at the potential clients that we are talking to um i think they 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 will see a lot of value in what we bring to the table Fantastic. And that actually brings us a first excellent question. I believe, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we may have a slight delay on LinkedIn. So if you are listening to us, get your questions in as quickly as possible. We don't want to miss out during the course of time. Of course, we're coming to you live today also on Facebook and YouTube. Question from Agatha Bellon, and she's actually turned things around. You've told us there's this huge addressable possibility. So what sort of markets can your software not handle? Gentlemen, is there anything? Magnus, let's start with you. That's a tricky question. What kind of markets can we not handle? Um, well, for a matching engine specifically, I can actually I can actually answer that. So so if 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 you have a market where it's simply a price list. Um, and it's take it or leave it, then you don't need expert. 
um, in in a sort of traditional primary market where it's book filling, uh, you also actually don't need experts. Um, what's great about our platform though is that you could go with, you could just create it and and not deploy experts, so you could still use our solution. Peter, what about the uh, the clearing side of things? Um, well, when you talk about digital assets, you think about instant settlement, right? And um, you don't talk about T plus two or T plus whatever. Um, and, and, and I guess for the clearing part, if you do instant settlement, then you don't really need the clearing piece. However, what we see and think is that even for cash products, you do need to handle risk because if you start getting a lot of volume, you also need to um, do netting at the end of the day or during the day. So uh, I would say that for the clearing piece, maybe not the products that can be instantly settled isn't the right thing. But um, um, I, I would say that any market that grows needs to have that. Excellent altogether. Eric, any limit to what you cannot possibly manage to, uh, to utilize your software for? Illicit markets. Illegal activity. <laughs> a perfect answer. A perfect answer. Don't do don't do illegal things. Do not volunteer for an orange jumpsuit, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for the thumbs up and the likes, Bent Person. That's an appropriate moment to mention the fact that you're enjoying the show. Thank you so much. Um, please, if you can, we're having a problem. LinkedIn do not seem to be sending us questions this evening. I'm not quite sure why. If you can, make your way over to YouTube, uh, search for IPO-vid, you'll be able to ask your questions there, or alternatively come to us via Facebook. Just go and Google for IPO-vid there. I'm so sorry, you can watch us, I know, but we're having difficulty receiving your questions. At the same time, we've got a very interesting question which has come in somehow or other on the uh, LinkedIn feed. And that is asking, wow, the macro question, gentlemen, will digital assets take over the world? Who would like to start from that? Peter, why don't you start for us with that? Uh, are we looking at taking over the world? Uh, <clears throat> slowly, maybe, but um, I mean, traditional markets will always be there and uh, this is just a start where we will see a move. We will see a movement of. Uh, it's a bit of an echo, but um, there's a movement from traditional T plus two settled, um, you know, markets to I think more uh, instant markets where you don't need to have the the long settlement cycles and um, you don't need to have all the capital required and so on. Yeah, it's quite fascinating altogether. And certainly, as you say, T plus two is what T plus 173,000 seconds or something, which is an awful lot of seconds when you add it up over the course of two days. So are we going to take over the world? Eric? Uh, I think it's a really interesting question. I, I'll, I'll rephrase it a little bit to say that sure. I think that um, 
I think that we're seeing an interesting inflection away from more fundamental-based trading into more sentiment-based trading. And so I don't know if digital asset is the right vehicle per se, but the ability to, I don't know, run, round up your purchase on your favorite product on the day into an investment or some exposure to the success of that product or that brand, or you know, being able to participate in some financial upside of uh, some activity that you do frequently or your favorite, uh, you know, your favorite singer, like these types of more sentiment-based investment and participation in the markets, I think are going to push a whole new wave of new types of assets. It's tough for me to call some of those things a digital asset because it's not clear to me what you own. Um, and I think that there's a really fun discussion going on right now about stuff like uh, these non-fungible tokens and Top Shot and all sorts of really abstract markets. I'm not sure you own an asset there. I'm not. It's not entirely clear to me what you have invested in. It doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it or that you can't make money off of it. I'm not saying that one way or the other. Um, but just that this is becoming a very abstract concept. And I see it more as part of just this general wave of financialization and access to markets and being able to put your money to work. Um, and I would say maybe not digital assets, but definitely the passive, low velocity, um, highly illiquid assets are less in favor than the, and, and people are finding ways to bring those online and to find ways to access some of that stored liquidity or stored equity that they might have in some other traditional assets. So, I think that we will see a tremendous change. I don't know that it's going to quote unquote take over, um, but I do believe that it has a has a legitimate uh, place in the investment uh, uh, realm. Excellent. Thank you very much. And therefore, Magnus, are we going to see digital assets taking over the world? Um, I, I have a, sli a slightly different view view on that. For me, I see it more as a as a as a kind of a normal technical evolution, if you like. So. Initially, shared certificates were printed papers with big stamps, and you had these, and bonds had these little little things that looked like a stamp you put on a letter, and then that was the coupon and so on. And that moved then on to to sort of electronic forms where it's stored into in, in computer systems, um, actually ledgers, if you like. But um, and I see smart contracts and and the ability to build in so much more logic and so much more sort of checkpoints into the actual financial instrument, I see that as, as a normal technical evolution. So, so for me, the answer is yes, everything will become digital assets, uh, but maybe not in that kind of revolutionary way that, that people imagine it. But, but in the future, when you trade a share, uh, yes, it will be stored on a smart contract. Very interesting. So therefore, Let's take that idea forward, Marcus, because it's a very interesting concept of not merely there being revolution in one sense, but also evolution. How do you therefore manage to move that marketplace forward? How do you manage to bring it more into the mainstream rather than just looking like r slash something or whatever it is on Reddit? Magnus? Sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um... Well, I mean, this is this is why it's so exciting to be to be us three right now. Because my prediction is that every single stock exchange over the next five years, they will run a POC looking at um, a platform that is is well enabled into into managing digital assets in in some capacity. Um, they have a choice; they can they can do changes and and adoptance into their existing tech stack, 
where they can run a parallel stream with a flexible, fast, deployed, and, and, and sort of more cost-efficient solution like ours. Um, and and the, indeed, we are already seeing we are already seeing uh, seeing those kind of interests, those kind of feeling, feelings, uh, feelers heading our way. So, um, yeah, it, 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 there will be as as always when when new technologies mature, that there will be sort of a, a bell curve of IT related projects. Very interesting. Peter, I mean, how do you view that in terms of managing to bring things more into the mainstream? What ways can, for example, clearing help that? I think, well, first of all, I think we're complementary to the traditional markets. And like Magnus says, we will have a gradual movement over to making it you know, more digital. And, and maybe the end game is you know, a complete digital um, assets. Um, to bring, uh, or to your question about what clearing can bring, I think, again, clearing brings trust. And, uh, you know, you handle, clearing handles counterparty risk. That's what it's all about. And when you talk about whenever there is a time factor, for instance, with derivatives, you always have a time factor. You need to calculate the margining and you have to have a, uh, you know, handle the collateral that covers the margin and so on. And um, it's just one extremely important piece that needs to be part of any marketplace, any successful marketplace, I would say. Excellent. And Eric, I mean, how do we move these markets on? How do you think we see them coming more into the mainstream, the more funky stuff? I mean, they are, right? I mean, we get to work with some of the most... Uh, uh, innovative, but also largest institutions in the world, digital assets working with, you know, the Australian Securities Exchange. We're bringing the entire continent of Australia's stocks into these markets. Uh, you know, not the way people are thinking about them in DeFi, but these are coming online in DAML on a, on a blockchain. Um, these these types of users are are at the cutting edge. It's it's surprising to to see, but it makes sense when you realize that you know, 20, 30 years ago, these companies made cutting edge decisions to dematerialize or build these new types of clearing and settlement systems that were cutting edge at the time compared to the status quo. And it established edge for them and established a position and established a purpose for them in these markets as they grew. And they drove a lot of the innovation through the space. And that back office system, that clearing and settlement system has been the platform that has driven this huge trading and financialization. And all of that is possible thanks to those things. So yes, they are starting to become quite antiquated and we see where they're falling short with the new more B2C retail focused markets. And that's not really what they were built for back in the day. So they have been designed under previous constraints. Uh, but the same institutions are the ones that were cutting edge before and they're going to continue to be cutting edge going forward. It also doesn't hurt that we have a bunch of uh, new entrants into the market space. I mean, if you saw, if anyone read the Coinbase S1, it's quite amazing where they're being valued. Again, not for me to say if it's appropriate or inappropriate, but they are instantly rocketed into some of the largest exchange uh, groups in the world. And that started very much as a niche side market. So it's both, um, I won't say direct competition from upstarts in new markets, but definitely the threat of it combined with a lot of these institutions remembering that they are effectively cutting edge, or at least were when they started a lot of this and remembering that as they decide what they're going to do for the next 20, 10, 20, 30 years. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point you make also about Coinbase and I mean how they've managed to come in, whatever that is, six, seven years from nowhere to being valued anywhere between $50 billion to $100 billion, I think we're looking at at the moment. And actually, if they were valued on the price earnings of, well, if they were valued forward in the price earnings of, for example, TradeWeb at the moment, they'd be worth uh, a gazillion dollars. I mean, I think they'd be worth a trillion dollars or something. They'd be almost the richest company on the planet. So it's fascinating to see. And certainly you're right. I mean, they're going to come in at the top tier of Young's Pyramid by the looks of it. Thank you very much, Simon Barnby. I'm glad to see that you're watching this evening. Great comment. I'm glad you're encouraging Magnus. And also, in fact, thank you very much. It seems as if we've got LinkedIn coming back. But if we have not got your question at the moment, then please ask it again, because LinkedIn has had a little problem this evening. Now, Peter, I've got a question. I think it's aimed squarely at you. So Ron Beat is asking, hey, Ron, good to see you again. Uh, why do we need clearing in digital asset trading when there's instant settlement? Good question. Um, well, like I alluded to before, when you have, even when you have cash products, you do, you do run into um time risk if you have netting uh, either periodically during the day or at the end of the day you have counterparty risk during that time another interesting aspect is that uh, if you let me take a metaphor if you if you um if you look at tokens as being um the tokens when you go into casino when you go to one casino and trade one thing and then you try to move those tokens out of the casino and go to the next casino. That's not, they're not fungible. That's one thing that the clearing house can also be, or the clearing part can, can take care of, to take in and collateralize the tokens so you can go to the next casino, the next marketplace. And um, that was on the cash side. And if you talk about derivatives, like I said before, um, you, you always have time risk when you talk about derivatives. And during that contract length, you need to calculate the daily margins and, uh, and um, handle the collateral that covers the margin. So I hope that answers your question. I think that's a very interesting answer altogether because it gives us a very clear understanding of the fact, as you say, I mean, two days is whatever, 165,000 seconds or there or thereabouts, even if you're on a traditional clearing cycle or something along those lines. And uh, I'm just actually being shown something. I think we have another question just coming in. So I'm just pausing for a second. If you've got a question, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and ask us. We're looking forward to them. We've got just under 20 minutes left of this live stream this evening. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you for watching. And of course, if you enjoy this and you enjoy the pithy remarks in between our excellent panels, join us, Exchange Invest. It's the newsletter of the Bourse Business. We are the only dedicated service providing you with insight and pith about the world of exchanges along with everything else. And I see, yeah, Rombeat's coming back again. Obviously, she's uh, working her way through this fascinating line of clearing and settlement. So therefore, if we've got this whole clearing thing tied up and therefore there's a reason we need clearing in that digital asset framework with instant or very, very rapid settlement, question then is, been a big topic for the last couple of weeks, it's even been in Congress. Eric, let's ask you first, what is the future of T plus two, and that's T plus two days, of course, T plus two settlement, what's the future? 
Uh, well, I think I'm a little bit disappointed by the way that this conversation is being had in the public sphere because it's very much being asked from a single point of view into the market. And what I mean by that is that you have a diverse group of actors in the marketplace and, and roughly along a spectrum. So if you pick a, a retail investor who's typically fully collateralized or fully margined at the broker-dealer level, uh, they're paying all the costs of the T2 so settlement system and getting zero of the benefit, deriving zero of the benefit. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, if you have a liquidity provider, a market maker, or anyone else of kind of that general uh, activity in the market, then they never want to settle. They would go for T10,000. They'd love to be purely margined and uh, mark to market on a daily basis. It would just allow them to provide a lot more liquidity at a lot more economical position. So you, it, the only problem with this entire conversation in my mind is not T, T instant, T1, T2, T5, T10. It is how do you satisfy a diverse set of personas within the same order book? And that's something that I wish we would have more of a conversation about. And that's something that we will be able to provide in this solution is things like blended, fully collateralized real-time settlement books with cleared participants, where you could have some settling on a net basis on a delay, others settling instantaneously on, on match, and having one single order book with, so without bifurcating liquidity. And I, I think that that level of creativity and that level of empathy of recognizing that there are more and more diverse personas in the market today than there were 20 or 30 years ago when we designed this system. And it's more than just trading, right? I think that there's a failing of the trading side of this, but also I, I, I don't understand why we have such prolific street name omnibus structures. Those exacerbate these margin issues as well. Um, so I, I, really, uh, I really wish that we could have a, a, a more creative conversation about what it would mean to design a system under the new requirements that we understand today, as opposed to the purely wholesale B2B type markets that we designed for 20 or 30 years ago. Very interesting altogether, Eric. And actually, I want to come back to the clearing question in a minute. But meanwhile, I noticed that uh, Roger Romo, you've left us a sad emoticon. What's leaving you down in the dumps, my dear fellow? I hope it's not the price of Bitcoin. Certainly, whatever it is, engage. Ask us a question. Make a comment. We'll be delighted to hear from you. Thank you very much for engaging. Eric, uh, the, you've talked about T plus two, and there's a really, really interesting arguments that you're making. What about the clearing side of things then, as you, you didn't comment on that earlier? Sure, sure. So, the, I mean, clearing, I think that Peter has mentioned this several times today, and I can't, you know, echo this enough. Clearing is not just the process of delaying the settlement. Clearing is the process of managing the risk throughout a process. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in our collective solution, uh, we have a lot of customers that are looking at derivatives. And as Peter mentioned, anything with, uh, you know, a regular cash management component to it, a derivatives component, any delayment, any netting, all of that requires being smart about how you manage the, the counterparty capital requirements. And that's something that we've also been able to build in this system that I think is quite innovative is just dynamic real-time uh, party by party level real-time margining and mark-to-market calculations that you can also instantaneously settle, transact, uh, you know, margin. So, you know, everyone thinks about stuff at a system level, but when you work with someone like a Bay Marcus or someone like an Xberry, then we can get very granular and we could build much more dynamicism into the overall system than what you're thinking about today, where you build just kind of one set of standards that applies to everybody uh, similar to what I was describing before. We need to think about this in smaller pieces um, than just this is a T2 delayed settlement market.
Yeah, yeah. I think it's, there's a subtle irony, certainly. You know that technology has really caught up when, Eric, you're saying, which is true. I mean, if you download the DAML toolbox, you can essentially make yourself some sort of a settlement process of incredibly rapidly. The difficulty is that once you involve the banks, it's going to take you two days to actually settle it. So your, your market can be operating within the speed of the settlement cycle. That rather worries me, certainly, when you see that their technology is, is still so far backwards. So, gentlemen, I mean, let's try and look at a big picture then. I mean, we've got a question uh, coming from Agatha Bellon again. Um, how many exchanges can we expect to see being built? So, um, Magnus, take it away. How many can you expect? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I, it's easily hundreds, easily, um, and it, it might even be thousands. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, Eric kind of is so eloquent around this with, with the kind of B2C and B2B markets are, are evolving and, ra and rapidly changing in that people are now maturing and, and, and expecting proper price discovery. They, they don't accept to just take price. Um, so the, so that, that just means that the number of exchanges, the number of marketplaces that actually needs proper price discovery and in the, in the as a clear follow-on also needs some kind of clearing because many of these products will evolve into the derivative style products. Um, it will just explode. So yeah, maybe it is thousands. What can we say, ladies and gentlemen? How about that? I mean, the old communist maxim, let a thousand exchanges bloom, if Chairman Mao were here this evening. Peter, what, what do you think is the potential for what's happening out there in terms of the number of markets you can be adding trust to at every turn? Well, <clears throat> the traditional exchanges are becoming fewer and fewer, right? Uh, it's They're all in a sort of a merger race and they are all buying each other. So, and I think we've seen this in, in many other uh, industries too, that when you get too much um, sort of focus or too many large players, new ones spring out. And with the new technology, you can actually launch an exchange in a you know, very short time and with much, much less money than you used to. So, I, you know, the number is very hard to say, but uh, I agree with Magnus. The potential is there. Quite incredible. Eric, what do you think? I mean, you've got these offices in what I think I named eight or 10 countries while I was running out of fingers as you were going along there. I, don't, I haven't yet managed to decentralize my feet into counting enough. How many markets do you think we're looking at in the world? Uh, I'd like to, I mean, first off, I would just say that I'd like to re restructure, again, like what we think about a market is not, you know, this one single venue, everyone comes together and they kind of spend their entirety of their day kind of nickel and diming prices to get into something that they want, but more just, you know, price discovery. And I'd like to see that echo its way or work its way into just about every B2C application where there's some transaction taking place. We're also not even talking about the potential uh, or thus, thus far in the call, we haven't discussed things like just data. There's so much data being accrued in this world and no one's thinking about how to transact and share with each other. How do I you know, purchase subsets of it, utilize it, give it back, like use it for a specific purpose. 
So, you know, we always think about stuff in such grandiose traditional market ways. I'm looking at something, I invest my money, I own something, it has dividends, I call it a day, maybe I bet on it with some leverage. And instead, we should think about it more of what is the cost to use something for some period of time? What is, you know, why can't I bid on an Uber ride? I don't understand that. Like, I have a destination I want to go to. Why can't I just show a bid that says, you know, I'd be interested in paying this much money for it? Um, so, I like, for me, I would like to see the experience in any sort of transaction to become more market oriented and less price taker oriented uh, like we see in a lot of the experiences. So it could be tens of thousands, if not more. Yeah, it's actually really, really fascinating when you look at it because you compare the original old fashioned origins of the exchanges, which was sort of, you know, we can see it to this day in the souk in Istanbul, or you can see it from history where the agora worked in ancient Rome and everything was about price negotiation and people were trying to be as transparent as possible. Whereas in fact, the 20th century and certainly the post-war era was something about as much price opacity as possible trying to get going. And that actually brings us to an interesting question. We're going to come back to data in just a minute. We got a question from Martin Watkins. Good evening, Martin. It's lovely to see you again, our previous guest on this show. A, an eminence grease across the financial markets. Of course, he was the number one eminence grease in the Exchange Invest 1000 just a couple of years ago. ATS's alternative trading systems and ECNs, electronic communications networks, challenged exchanges through technology. MIFID, the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive from the European Union, was introduced as a regulation to increase competition at trading venues. What will lead market improvement now? Is it going to be market forces or regulation or both? Let's actually start with Peter, because Peter Clearing is an incredibly regulated business in many senses. What do you think is going to be leading the market improvement? Market forces or regulation? Well, I certainly hope it's market forces and not regulation. I think what we've seen with MIFID uh, had a lot of good intentions, but didn't really turn out the way it should, you know, um, at least in many areas. So um, I definitely think that, you know, the free market will and, and the, the, the sort of innovative, innovative, um, say, the technology enables innovation and, and also enables new marketplaces to spring out. So I don't think that, uh, if anything, I think regulation will probably hold back some of these market forces. Very interesting. Magnus, what do you think is going to be the situation? I mean, obviously, you've just joined this fabulous new really technological vendor, which is blowing away many of the old precepts in exchange matching technology. Yeah, I I think it's a great question. First of all, it's and I'm 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 actually struggling to to answer it in my head. I'm, I it certainly will be both. I I think I think that regulation do play a role. I mean, it's it's the market abuse directive is is really important and has forced behavioral changes in electronic markets um, and. I, I see that continuing to play a vital role. Um, so I, I do th see that regulation is important. I, now I'm seeing, I'm also seeing really positive signs around the globe where regulators are actually opening up to and, and helping innovation when it comes to to allowing for innovation in markets and breaking down breaking down existing structures and allowing 
new technology and new concepts to, to, to enter the arena as, as recognized investment uh, structures and vehicles. Um, so, so it's a bit of both. Um, but the underlying force, I, I really do think, must be from 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 the market forces. It it, it, it needs to come from there. It, 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 you know, people want. You know, I think Oslo Börs is actually a great example of this. Sorry, I'm I'm rambling on a bit, but they they had this is way back in, in when electronic trading was new. They had problems with liquidity in the markets because because people were were scared of entering it because they were spoofed and they were where they were kind of lured into markets and, and, and trade, traded at, at disadvantage prices. Um, and surveillance systems, they brought in a surveillance system, they started monitoring the trading and, and they, they managed then to clean up the market and liquidity improved and people entered the market. So mar mar people, people want to be able to trust the market. Um, so, so market forces, is an important factor. Interesting. Eric, where do you think the nexus lies between market forces and regulation or technology? I think that the last point that Magnus was just making is, is probably a really good one. And, and here again, we have a decent case study in kind of how, you know, if you look at roughly the last decade of the, of the crypto markets, how they've evolved. Uh, I, I've been lucky enough to participate in that market long enough to have, you know, traded penny prices and bitcoins on flash crashes in the early days and successfully managed to not lose money at, Bit at Mt. Gox and all sorts of different things along those lines. And what has started to drive the transformation in this market is the trustworthiness that, that comes with it. Now, it's a combination of a little bit of both, right? We saw a lot of uh, pushes for licensing and there was pushback in some instances. Others have embraced it. I think the ones who have embraced it in good faith and have done the best that they can to leverage some of the, the regulations that have come in have helped to establish trust. But that goes hand in hand with the technological requirements to build the experience that the customer really wants. So I, I think that a big part of the success of the crypto markets over the better part of the last 18 or 24 months has a lot to do with the um, regulation that it was relatively light where it was introduced and brought out but just you know the the industry helping to get it to a place where it was additive to the trust to the consumer uh, while simultaneously building really nice trading experiences for the investor and so i think it's i think it's a little bit of both interesting a little bit of both i hope that helps answer the question thank you once again martin watkins if you missed martin's earlier appearance on ipovid you can find it on any of these social media streams for example youtube.com and just search for ipo-vid amongst the other videos we have in this fascinating collection portfolio of emerging discussions about the future of finance and markets got a great question coming in from john falk it's come via youtube itself now he's asking this question okay so let's say if there are hundreds or thousands of exchanges how do we ensure liquidity great question um eric why don't you start with that uh also old enough and lucky enough to have had the uh distinct luxury of trading on the floor. I spent some time at the CME and the Treasury Options Pits and then at NYMEX and the Natural Gas Options and Futures Rings. And uh, the local, the local was really a mainstay back in the early days of those rings. Um, and when we're talking about hundreds or thousands of exchanges, I don't mean of the same asset. 
right? I don't think that you're going to have um, ICE list, uh, you know, Uber rides and, you know, have to figure out how you're going to source liquidity for Uber on ICE. You know, you're really going to, you're going to have cottage locals that are really participating. They know the market, they know the value, they know that asset class, they know the behaviors of the consumers there. Um, and again, with just the explosion of all the analytics going into the space, whether it's ML, AI, all of the systems of intelligence that are getting integrated into these data platforms, there will be no shortage of insight and activity and reasons to participate in this market from more of a, a local, old school local style of participation. And I suppose that also brings us back to the fact that here we are crossing the Atlantic from Valletta to Stockholm to London to New York right now, and we could all manage to be trading any market we want to anywhere in the world. So the old fashioned, the one thing that's happened is locals have become decentralized. I mean, we could debate DeFi all night long, but locals can now be anywhere on the planet. Um, they're still locals to a market. Peter, how do you view that, the whole issue of liquidity and probably also how it impacts on the, on the clearing side of things? Um, well, I think <clears throat> you're, you're, the question is great because this is the, I mean, the $100 million question. How do you bring liquidity onto a platform? And just to go back a little bit, I ran something called C-Screen, which was uh, a startup back in the uh, early part of this century. And uh, it's an OTC um, trading platform for equity derivatives. And... Um, uh, there, I just saw it with my own eyes how, how, you know, when the turning point is when you actually get the liquidity enough to explode and make, uh, you know, make a marketplace. Uh, in, in my, or in our experience then was that when we reached more than 50 users on the platform and, and they pushed prices, it was an interdealer, uh, interdealer broker platform. Um, so when we reach that magic number, then it sort of grew by itself. So you need to get over that sort of uh, that threshold. Um, what this, this does to clearing is that uh, obviously you can handle clearing in a, in a marketplace that doesn't take off. You can handle that in an Excel sheet almost. So whenever you get enough liquidity you also get the need for clearing and uh, do the mark to market do the margining do the calculations and handle substantial volume and that's also when when you do have institutional investors you have the volumes in there that's you only get that if you have clearing on board so again it comes back to trust so it all comes back to trust, of course, Peter, once again. Magnus, how do you view the idea of injecting liquidity into these different entities? Um, I think we touched on it earlier. And, and this, this, the fact that the global and local is now kind of the same thing. Right? You know, it, it's about finding that audience that is passionate about what, what, what it is that you're making available for trading. Um, and then you will find these locals who will help make markets. Um, but, but as you pointed out, they can be anywhere in the globe. So, so your audience is so much bigger like that. And, and that is just growing and growing. Um, so, so, so the kind of liquidity pool or the potential area of participants is so much bigger now. 
Fabulous. So therefore, gentlemen, we are close to the end of our hour. Thank you very much for that excellent question. That was really, really interesting, John Falk. I thoroughly appreciate it. Let's look forward towards the future. What do you think is, well, Magnus, I'm going to ask you particularly, what do you think is the next big thing or do we know? Um, this is this is what I find so amazing is I don't have a clue. I don't have the faintest idea. Um, and that is that is what I find so amazing. We just don't know what the next big new thing is. Um, and from 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 all these different uh, prospects that I'm talking to on a daily basis, the, the creativity is just just exploding. And, and it's so exciting to see what's popping up. I mean, they recently read about articles uh, you, you trade eight bit cats with a, with a muffin on top. Um, no, why not? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, that's certainly, I can say that uh, the cat around here nearly managed to eat the studio during the course of time. So, if anybody would like to offer a significant amount of money to see that, we would certainly welcome it as we were rebuilding just as we went live on air. Um, Peter, you know, wh what do you think is the future here you're obviously very optimistic what's going to be i don't know the next big thing and how does clearing help it i think the next big thing is actually what we do today but in a different way uh, i mean there will be new asset classes there will be new products traded uh, like uh, eric brought up we could probably trade uh, uber call uber uh, drives or rides but uh, we are already in the you know financial market are so uh, you know mature so I think what we'll see as the next step is them moving on to you know the digital environment and digitizing the uh, the products Eric I'm gonna give you the last word this evening thank you very much Peter so what are you gonna see in this incredible future that you've mentioned I, is so exciting I think they're both great answers. So I'll, I'll echo them a little bit and then just expound. So I, I think that I'm blown away every day with the creativity of the people who speak to us and want to leverage what we've built to help them make their dream a reality. There are so many specific areas that would be improved from just better transparency over the supply chain or how things are added to a process. And just those, those types of use cases, I get so excited every time they come across. Us and, and I hope that all of them succeed. And you know, I'll do everything that I can with, uh, with, with our company to try to help that. On the flip side, I also think that there are some vulnerable incumbents, and there are some well-capitalized new companies coming into this space. Uh, not just capitalized, but also uh, with the appropriate licenses to make a move. And I think that you know, the future holds for us. Um, some interesting competition, some very different style of competition over the incumbents at the heart of these capital markets. Uh, we might finally get a real fintech space. Uh, right now, we kind of just have payment tech. We don't really have much that I would call truly like capital markets deep in the heart of how these how these uh, the, this capital world really behaves. So I, I you know I, I think that we'll see some of these more successful. Uh, upstart exchanges and groups come in and start to come after some of the incumbent experiences, as well as the new product types coming to market. 
Eric, as the person who wrote Capital Market Revolution in 1999, the first book of capital markets, FinTech, 10 years before they ever used the word FinTech. And as you say, given the fact that so much of what they call FinTech today is really just paytech, amen to that, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we have had our guests this evening, Magnus Almquist, Peter Fredrickson, and Eric Saranietsky, or Saraniki, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're sitting on. In my case with the Polish wife, I can't possibly avoid pronouncing it in my best possible attempt at bad Polish. We've been looking at the end-to-end -end digital asset platform. We're here with Bay Markets, Digital Asset, and Expri, who can deliver to you something really, really interesting. We're at Kanban for exchanges, just in days delivery. My goodness, Digital Asset, they can manage to start you settling something after you've downloaded the toolkit in less time than it took you to watch this highly elucidating international live stream. How incredible. We want to look at putting our money to work, said Eric, and I agree with you completely. John Falk, I think this has been an excellent panel and he's passing on our thanks to us all because as we look to put our money to work, and ladies and gentlemen, if I may say so, why don't we think about putting our work to money to work in an exchange as well as just putting it to work on an exchange? Because as Magnus Almquist has noted, let a thousand exchanges bloom. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the age of the exchange and this is the opportunity to manage to trade, to add liquidity, and indeed to have price discovery and so many new markets. And what does that show? It shows the opportunity for decentralized locals. Those of us who were once upon a time on the floor, such as Eric and myself in different parts of the world. Nowadays, we're across the world and we're going to be hearing from a couple of ex-locals in future IPO vids. And I think that it's fascinating because as Peter Fredrickson of Bay Market has said, this is a complementary process. It is not a question of digital tokens eating the lunch of everything legacy, but providing what is the most important issue of all, something which we strive to deliver through a high quality of, of different guests on this show. And of course, an excellent corporate roster, such as presented this evening by Bay Marcus, Digital Asset, and X-Spray. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is trust. Because without trust, we do not have markets. Without trust, we do not have capitalism. We do not have freedom. And we do not have prosperity. And that's what we've been talking about today, whether it's in your sneakers, in your cat photographs, or any other of a thousand opportunities that there are in these markets. For just-in-day's delivery, you too could be looking at a whole new realm of price discovery thanks to this incredible realm of opportunities. It's been a data-rich experience, ladies and gentlemen, but unfortunately, we haven't actually managed to get towards discussing quite as much as a 15 petabyte lake of data as we had just a couple of weeks ago with BMLL technology. Nonetheless, I thank you very much, gentlemen, of Bay Markets, of Expre, of indeed Digital Asset. It's a fascinating silo. I wish you every success. On behalf of Exchange Invest and myself, we're right behind you because we are behind the exchange and the bourse business, and we want to see more markets in the world because markets mean prosperity. This, ladies and gentlemen, has been the IPO vid. Coming soon, we've always got a little bit of attractions to end the show. Next week, what could be more spectacular? The meaning of life, ladies and gentlemen. That's life with two Fs. The former CEO of the London Futures Exchange. He has had an incredible career helping to shape the concepts, the ideas of Brexit. Daniel Hodgson, I'm really looking forward to seeing you next week. He's going to be with us talking about the City United Project, which is the project to bring forward 
the city of London in this digital asset tokenizing era, of course, also within the framework of Brexit as Britain opens to the world. Following in the week after that, we've got one of the probably the best known names ever to set foot on the life floor. He was there on day one. We're going to see Neil Crammond. He's going to be talking about bridging the educational gap. In other words, how you too could be a local in the front room, whether you're trading sneakers or any of another of 100,000 possible products that are going to be on the Bay Markets Digital Asset and x platform coming in the near future. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you very much once again to our guests, Magnus Almquist, Peter Fredrickson, Eric Saranetsky. This is the end of the longest IPO vid yet, and it's been a scorcher, I think, ladies and gentlemen. Right, let us go download our Diamond toolboxes, and to Diamond we trust we will go forward and make new markets. This is the end of IPO vid. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you very much.